Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of My Loops Are Up Here. Today, I have Dr. Jessica Metcalf here with us. She's a general dentist at a cancer center in Toronto, as well as a part owner of an emergency clinic. Dr. Metcalf here is also an expert on imposter syndrome. Welcome, Jessica. Thanks so much for having me today. I'm excited to have this chat, super near and dear to my heart. So what, um, I guess, got you started in research of the topic and just kind of diving into it and now becoming one of the experts on it? It was probably about two years ago now where I, the anxiety that I noticed for me in general that came with dentistry, I was like, oh my goodness, how am I going to survive the next 20 to 30 years in dentistry. And so I've always had anxiety to begin with. And I thought to myself, okay, there has to be a different way now that I'm in clinic and the buck stops with you, with patient care and stuff that I've got to be managing this a little bit better. But it wasn't until I read the book by um, Sheryl Sandberg, Lean In, where there was a specific section on in there talking about the imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon and how it affects women in general. And all of a sudden, it was like everything that she was writing about just hit super close to home. And I was like, okay, maybe this isn't the business world only. Maybe there's other aspects. And how does it affect people in medicine and dentistry? And so I did a deep dive into the research, like primary sources going in and seeing who has studied this how it affects different programs, so medicine versus dentistry versus pharmacy and nursing, whether you're in professional or graduate studies. And what I realized is we're definitely not alone in this. And so when I was experiencing those thoughts, emotions, and then behaviors that would become of it, I realized, okay, this isn't solely my anxiety. It's playing a part in it because anxiety and stress is multifactorial, but if I can manage this and help prevent these feelings and thoughts that I'm having, then I'm going to enjoy dentistry and enjoy my career way more than what I initially had expected, where all I was thinking was retirement at that point in time. It's kind of amazing when actually you and I first met, because I didn't even realize that you know, it was called anything. Let's be real. Yes. I just thought exactly it. it was like just going through all these emotions, even like, especially as a new grad and even still almost 10 years out, still feeling like, okay, why am I experiencing, you know, these certain emotions or these certain feelings on procedures, for example, or on situations that I've dealt with before and exactly. I couldn't pinpoint the name until you and I had met mm-hmm. and it was like you know this like light bulb went off and then I was you know before obviously prepping for today I was like oh my god yes yes oh yes I resonate with this I resonate with this <laughs> it was just like one of those moments where I was like oh my god there's a name and just something that felt so unknown or makes you feel so alone um can really be something that one is explained because I think for us, especially in dentistry, you know, a subsect of science, it's like, we want an explanation for everything. Exactly. That's exactly it. Yeah. So I feel like this was, it was amazing for, for us to connect in too. I was like, oh my gosh, I bet you 
so many people are going through this and they don't even know what to call it. Mm -hmm. They feel like they're alone. And especially in dentistry, it's such a, it can be such a lonely field depending on what avenue you've taken after school. And, you know, especially as a solo practitioner, you're just, you feel alone. And when certain yes. things don't go the right way, yes. you're just like, okay, well, am I really good at this? You know? So um, I don't know if you want to share kind of a little bit tidbit of like, okay, what is exactly imposter syndrome or phenomenon yeah. so that we can kind of dive into it? So the imposter, so the well-known name for it right now is the imposter syndrome. I like to call it the imposter phenomenon because of the two female psychologists or clinical psychologists in 1978 who came up with the term. They, they started it with the imposter phenomenon and in calling something a syndrome, it means you have an illness of some sort, and that's not the case. It's not established in psychiatry manual, and so that's why I keep calling it a phenomenon because of the fact that that's exactly what it is. So it's when you don't believe that your successes are due to your own skills and efforts. So it's that feeling of intellectual phoniness, even though you're completely credentialed and that you should be doing what you're doing. And it's that thought process of telling yourself, okay, well, maybe there's someone better out there who should be doing it. Or maybe there's someone smarter or who works harder than me that should be doing it. Or for instance, for me, I noticed in particular, it tend to happen with more complicated procedures. And then when I started to get out lecturing, because I thought I can't do this. People are going to think that I'm a fraud, that I shouldn't actually be the one that's up there, especially being newer in my field, specifically with treating the cancer patients. And so I started to delve in when I started to do my own research about why am I being so bothered about going in and giving lectures? And so I questioned myself. And that's when I started to realize I was questioning myself in such a negative way. So... I would blanket statement everything and say, I suck as a dentist or I suck as a lecturer or I can't do this instead of being more specific. So what I started to realize is specifically when it came to lecturing, I was so afraid that someone would ask me a question that I didn't know the answer to. And there is nothing wrong with saying, hey, can I get your information? I'll do the research because... I can definitely look into this and I'll get back to you. And then the best part about it is I'm then continually learning because it may not be something that I thought of. And then I get to incorporate that into my next lecture. So it's really interesting where when I view it in that sense, instead of viewing it as, oh, I don't know the answer. They're going to think I don't know my material it puts you in a completely different mindset when you go into treat patients, when you go in to communicate with your colleagues, when you go in to refer patients or give lectures, right? And so when you start to change that and recognizing that we're all high achievers, we've gone through many years of intense schooling, endured many years of schooling, what makes us think that we can't figure something out or that we shouldn't be where we are or that we can't manage that emergency that comes in. I mean, like I was saying, I was like, I've been out now almost 10 years and it's interesting because, you know, nowadays with Google reviews <laughs> that are so prevalent, <laughs> of course, um, of course. it, you have this, I don't know what it is. It's this like added sense of pressure. Now, 
we're already high achievers. We always already want to do the best that we can do. People always say, and my mentors have always said, you have to remember this is the practice of dentistry. The practice is the key word. Like you are mm -hmm. always learning if you don't know something or if you're not sure about how to handle something. Like you said, you know, you're going in and doing the research. Or nowadays, I'm a lot less shy, like, hey, so this is kind of how this root canal went. And I go to my colleagues and or my, the specialists that are my colleagues, and I'm like, okay, what could I have done better? And I realize, like, they don't necessarily feel like I'm stepping on their toes. And, you know, like, I've, I've created this narrative in my head of, like, mm -hmm. I have to do this alone. And to go back to the Google reviews, it's like, if something doesn't go 100% every single time, I all of a sudden feel like, oh, my God, I'm a failure. Have I done this wrong? Wrong. Yeah. Could I have done this better? Then all of a sudden I start to spiral that one bad Google review. You know, I'll look back and think back to it. And I, I like, I have, I can almost honestly probably recite it word for word because that's how much it resonated with me. Yeah. Completely outweigh, you know, over two years having a hundred and something very positive reviews and positive feedback, you know, and I have to remind myself that, Sometimes patients will leave. Sometimes situations won't go 100% according to plan. And that is okay. Because um, it just, it can't always be the case. What, how come I've seen some patients that, uh, that other dentists, like they have angel other dentists. It's for the same reasons that maybe that dentist or that patient and I haven't, didn't resonate, you know, and that somebody else left. Because sometimes you just don't gel or just things just don't go according to plan. Of course. And you have to remember that. And it's hard to do it in the moment. You know, like, it's okay. We, we did the best we can. And it doesn't um, take away from the fact that we always worked with good intention and work to the best of our abilities. Yeah. But it's so easy to get into that mindset, that negative narrative of, crap, like, I suck. I should never do this again. Do I need to change yeah. jobs or change careers? Yeah. But I have been better at like finance. Like I right. could not have been better at finance. I am not <laughs> like, this is what I was meant to do. But for some reason it's like, oh, is there a job that doesn't have any risk? You know, of course not. Right. Like it all has, you know, it all, there's always some risk in any profession that you take especially at the high level that we're working, you know, mm -hmm. risks and challenges right? Like that's, that in dental school and even in undergrad, we've established a way on how to numerically determine how someone does well, right? And so it's easy on paper when we take multiple choice exams. And so I always look back at the curriculum, even in undergrad or college, when you have someone who finishes an arts degree or in English versus someone who finishes in science, right? It's a lot, I don't want to say easier, but it's in a sense more predictable to get a higher grade in science because if you get all your multiple choice questions right, you're going to get a higher grade or a higher mark in comparison to say like an English degree where it's so subjective based on your teaching assistant or your professor at that point in time, right? So we've established there then standardized testing in order to get into dental school. Once we're in dental school, we all have that perfectionist mentality, right? We're striving for perfection. We're striving. And that's where we link to the numerical value. But when we're out in practice, you can't take a numerical value and put it onto treating a patient. 
That doesn't exist. You can go through the different steps and complete them to the best of your ability. And so I recently sat on a lunch and learn um, with a group of women across different business fields. And the moderator was talking about uh, perfectionism. And instead of using the term perfectionism, which this is where I loved, changing it to excellence, right? We're striving for excellence. That's what we want. Our best is our excellence, but it may not be perfect. And that's okay because everyone's perfection is going to be defined completely different. We can't, we can't put a numerical value on communicating with a patient who recently has been diagnosed with cancer, comes in and sits in your chair and has held it together through every single appointment prior to you, then sits in front of you and starts to express emotion, right? You're not going to walk away from that tagging on a numerical value to it. You're going to be empathetic. You're going to communicate with that patient. You're going to take the time for that patient. Now, let's compare it to that difficult patient, that Google review, okay, that you were talking about because we all have those one or that handful of patients that stay with you for years, (laughs) right? And the thing to walk away from it is, Again, you strived for excellence with it, right? And let's say the outcome wasn't where it needed to be, or again, those risk complications happened, or it was very challenging, right? They're going to be very challenging, and there might be another difficult patient down the line. So now you can use that initial on how you reacted, on how you behaved, and bring that into your next experience. Because Throughout our entire career, we're going to experience difficult patients. But that first one, because it was likely that one and that one specific one that stands out, it's always going to set us up for the next time. But when we walk away from it, we have to remember that we have to take those tangible learning experiences into the next one, right? One of the questions I've been talking with a lot of uh, dentists recently about What happens visceral to you when you see that patient's name on the schedule? Let's say you're looking ahead, right? (laughs) And you see that patient's name. Does your heart rate increase? Do you start sweating? Do you get a sleepless night? Are you thinking, I hope they don't show up? (laughs) Like All all the above. (laughs) All, All of the above. And you're already into reactive mode, right? You're not even there. This patient might come in and it might be a completely different experience compared to the last time, right? And so we get into that reactive mode and then that also dictates how we bring things into our personal life, how we communicate with our family, how we then establish our hobbies later on, right? Instead of coming home and just vegging in front of the TV. Now, if you enjoy vegging in front of the TV and you're taking purpose out of that, that's completely fine. But when you go into a numbing activity, then that becomes problematic. Yeah, I mean, I 100% agree. I think, you know, like you're talking about, what, what does it feel like when I, honestly, even part of it's become to the, or gotten to the point where even it's like, I'd almost go in being like, why are you here? You know, you've right. already put me through all these emotions, yes. you know? Yeah. And then yeah. it's reactive almost in not, and it's, it's hard to see it in a positive way, like, oh, they came back because of x y and z and you you like just like you said you let emotion kind of drive you know how you behave 
Right. And you have to remind yourself to take that, you know, put that emotion aside and kind of approach it from as an object, as an objective of a place as you can, you know, exactly. and that I feel like that's even with, I mean, this phenomenon in general, you know, you're talking about striving for perfection for excellence. Well, everyone's definition of perfection is different. Yeah. And there isn't that numerical value. So now you're creating this subjectivity to everything and subjectivity only comes from one your own experiences yeah. two the experiences of your colleagues and then three i think the most ex- important thing is experiences of your family and your upbringing and mm-hmm. you know what that's how that's been ingrained in you and driven you to the point where you're at you know yeah that's actually one of the parts i'm glad you brought that up that's one of the parts about how we experience the imposter phenomenon in our adulthood is back in the nature versus nurture aspect of it. And if your family valued intelligence, you're always going to be striving for that little bit more, right? So you came home with a really good grade instead of maybe acknowledging great work, great effort that got put into it because that's fantastic. There's, okay, well, the next time this is what you need to do, or next time you need to aim for more, or this, there's always that next little leap, right? And so medicine and dentistry self-selects for individuals who are driven, competitive, right? Able to endure those years of expectations and schooling. And so because of that, we then take it into every single goal, every single procedure as we move forward saying, okay, well, that's how I did the next, the last time. So this is where I need to be. And then when we're 10, 15, 20 years out and say we're doing different transitions, whether you're purchasing a practice or shifting offices or moving to a different location, that's when the imposter phenomenon tends to present itself a lot more because now you're into a new environment, a new challenge, right? And so those all of a sudden, then those emotions, those feelings come up again. And it's not that we should ever dismiss them because I think that that also plays a part in our drive, but we need to look at it in a more neutral or positive tense instead of thinking of, I'm going to make this mistake, so don't do it. Um, I'm going to... have a fear of failing. So I am going to do it a specific way instead of saying, well, what if it's completely successful? What if it turns out completely fine? And then you just put yourself through that entire anxiety aspect of it. And that can last days, weeks, months, years. And in order to continue, especially now with COVID and a lot more of the stressors that are happening, and certain stressors that we may not be able to control because we like control to control environments. That's one of the reasons why, why we do what we do, right? <laughs> we, can, we can control those environments, but with COVID, we can't control certain things. And so if we know, like you said, by putting a label or a title on this, we then can help to manage and prevent those feelings and thoughts from spiraling essentially. Uh, do you have like, I think, you know, the other day when I was talking to you a couple weeks ago, yeah, I was mentioning, you know, I was like, you know, it just, it, there were just a few things that kind of came and culminated together where, especially as a business owner, I was like, okay, I have to make this change. I'm feeling overwhelmed by this thing. And I'm like, is every business owner like this? Am I alone? Da, da, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. 
and just got to a place of, you know, real vulnerability and just was trying to figure out how to navigate it. Um, When people, I feel like imposter syndrome or imposter phenomenon, if you will, it, it can definitely, I guess, um, you know, exponentially kind of, what's the word that I'm looking for? It kind of grows on itself and festers. And how do you foresee or what do you feel like is one of the really good techniques for people let's say like myself or even honestly like you know I would say even the general public you know or and 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 specifically you know high achieving individuals such as ourselves how do you navigate it you know what do you need to do or what do you see has worked for you that has allowed you to be like okay I gotta hit the pause button these are the next steps that I need to take so that Mm -hmm. I can remind myself of you know who I am how I got here etc because sometimes it's really hard to look through the fog you know and kind of work your way through it yeah so for me I find is when I start to get into that fog and I think moving forward I'm not going to do this a hundred percent or I'm not going to be able to achieve the next goal because it seems so far out of sight I find I tend to do two parts the one part is is I you actively have to reflect, right? You actively have to be taking part in your thoughts. Otherwise they'll just run away from you. So in those moments, I sit down and huge journaler where I look at my successes. For me, journaling, when I originally had started, like way back in the day when I was a young teen, it was always thought of dear diary. And like, that's how you're starting your journaling. Right. And it's like, no, no, that's, that's not what the whole purpose was. And then what I noticed is I only started to journal when something negative happened or something bad happened in my life. And right there, I realized, well, if if I'm only reflecting on the the crappy things that have happened in my life, then there's not enough room in my brain to enjoy the positives. So I actively make a point now and I sit down and when I start to feel that overwhelming situation, I look back at either the last week or the last month and I take into account, okay, what were my wins right now? Because we're these high achieving individuals, we're looking at only those big wins, right? We got our, we got our undergraduate degree. We got our dental degree, whether you went into further education, purchasing a home, purchasing a practice, having your first child, like you're only looking at those specific big achievements. But what about if I just had the best conversation with the most anxious patient ever? What if I, right? What if I had what if I close that margin (laughs) really well? And you're like, yes, I like that. Like, that's just fantastic. What if you're doing a six month recare or an annual recare exam and you get your bike wing and you look at that and you're like, that contact is amazing. What about all of those? Right? So I definitely have that moment. Sorry, not to, not not to get, (laughs) I definitely had that moment the other day with a patient and she's been our patient for like six years. She's hilarious and amazing. And I really do love her. She was just yeah. like, did you just applaud yourself? And I like, <laughs> I like did not realize I said it out loud. And I was like, I did. And I was okay with it because I was having such a crappy week. But yeah. I was like, sometimes you just like, it's those little wins, right? It is. It's those little wins that we forget to acknowledge. Or for instance, I know I've had this a couple of times where my assistants will 
come over to me afterwards and they're like, you left the room and the patient said they were like really happy that they got to see you today and like just really excited. And you don't get, you don't take those, right? You just kind of brush those off and you're like, oh, that's a part of who I am. And that's a part of me being in dentistry and medicine. But owning those wins. So outside of those big achievements, outside of looking at your degrees on the wall, actually, I haven't even put mine up. (laughs) I just haven't. Anyway, so outside of looking at those big wins, it's acknowledging those smaller wins because they are, they're still wins regardless. They're still achievements. They're still successes. That's part one. Part two is, is then when I do set my next goal and I feel like I'm becoming extremely overwhelmed, I take the time and I, and I call it a brain dump. So it's just everything that I need to get out, I get out on a piece of paper. It doesn't have to be in a logical sense. It's what's bothering me at this point in time. And by you tangibly putting it into or onto a piece of paper, instead of it just floating around in your mind, your brain is then able to break down and see it in a more specific and tangible way. I like that. I like that. I think one additional thing I would love to add, and I don't know how you feel about it, was um, is you know owning the fact that it's also okay to feel this way and kind yes. of taking it and being like, okay, I was vulnerable here. I, um, and I feel this way and I acknowledge it. And now I've put it into this little bow and I, and I, and I need to move on. Yeah. And it's like how to be able to do that. I remember I had posted this a while ago and it was like, you can't get to courage without rumbling with vulnerability. And yes. it's like, I think that this imposter phenomenon really brings up a lot of vulnerability in our own personalities. And it's something that we should have and every individual should be able, or I feel Mm -hmm. should be humbled by certain experiences. We should feel vulnerable because that makes us human. You know, we feel guilt or we feel, um, you know, we have this sense of um, like, Oh, we could have done better. And that Mm -hmm. kind of drives all of this thing, but it also drives us to be successful. So I feel like, you know, making sure we're acknowledging those points of vulnerability, but then putting them in a bow, setting it aside and doing what you're talking about Mm -hmm. and remembering that those, even those little wins should ultimately, you hope that there are enough of them that can really outweigh Mm -hmm. these points. You know, there's a hundred percent enough of them. That's confirmation bias, right? (laughs) Confirmation bias is looking for. So if you're in that negative and you're only looking for negative, of course, you're going to prove that right. In comparison to if you're looking for those wins, they definitely exist. So it's finding them and acknowledging them. And going back to your vulnerability, I think that's so important is when you said owning it and owning it, but sharing it with people you trust. Because that's where we then get stuck and thinking that we're completely alone in this. And so it's really important that when we are vulnerable, that we reach out and have that support network. So then when mistakes happen or you see that difficult patient or you feel like it could have gone differently and you may be stuck in that mindset and as much as on your own, you're trying to get out of it, being vulnerable And trusting other individuals with that is extremely important because as you said, being a clinical, being a clinic owner and being the only clinic owner, not necessarily having a 
a partner or associates or you then start your day end the day in your mind and then you go home and you're still in your mind and i was just talking to another person where there have been definitely times where i've come home you have that moment and for me in particular it's i close that door and it's just like oh my goodness and either the tears just flow or i hop in the shower and the tears are flowing and you're <laughs> oh, right? Those moments for sure. <laughs> right and so but it's acknowledging those like why aren't we sharing those moments more with people? Because I don't think they would be necessarily as challenging and you wouldn't sit in that for as long in comparison to sharing with someone. Own it, own that cry, own it. Cause it's so cathartic to be able to have that and then leave it and say, okay, I recognized it. I experienced it and now it's time for me to either share it if that's what's going to necessarily take you to the next step, but know that that also doesn't define who I am. Yeah, I think that's the biggest thing. It's like making sure you don't feel defined by it, right? But I, but that comes from opening up people to the conversations like this. Yes. Like this exists and making it normal mm -hmm. to bring up those points of vulnerability, the points of like, okay, well, this didn't go as a hot, you know, as well as I thought it was going to, or yes, I want to celebrate my win, but has anyone ever experienced this before? And when you feel that sense of community, yeah. it stops feeling taboo yes. to have something go wrong. Of and course. I think that allows us to start to separate ourselves from feeling like the imposter, mm -hmm. feeling like we don't deserve the achievements that we have, you know, yeah. gotten to and accomplished, you know, along the way. A part of uh, my lecturing is putting up the cases that don't go the way that you think that they're going to go. And going back to perfectionism, that's what we see on social media. That's what we see in lectures. It's those cases that go amazingly well and you're so grateful for them. But what about all those other cases that didn't necessarily succeed? And sharing those so then, like you said, it's normalized and that, okay. And my takeaway from those cases, especially when you get to share them, is how did you respond to it? What, what was your next step? Right? And that's where it is where it's the normalizing aspect. Social media, honestly, has... I feel, it's funny. I had taken a break from Facebook um, and then recently um, started a new page of mine for the Alchemist Dentist. And then I was going through and I was like, oh, I remember why I left Facebook. I'm like, there's so many <laughs> wedding photos. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, oh, and that period in time where actually like three years ago where I felt I was just like, oh my goodness, I'm not at the right timeline compared to everyone else. I'm not getting married. I'm not right. And so it's when, you, when that's all you see all the time and that perfection aspect of it, I'm like, oh, I'm, I'm either a missing out on something or uh, B I'm not doing it at the right time in my life. Right. Oh my gosh. I just had that. I, <laughs> it, before you carry on, I literally was yeah. just talking to my husband about this. I was like, we got married in our 30s. I started my dental practice eight, almost seven, eight years out of school. I don't have any kids. We don't have any kids. Yet, and I'm, yes, now I'm expecting. But it's like, I was like, I just did everything so late. And he's like, 
there is no late. He's like, you exactly. When you did it and you have to be able to get that out of your mind. But like you said, the social media, it's hard because all you see are yes. those amazing cases and these amazing lives that people live and lead. And you're just like, how do I get there? And it almost like, now I think social media is great in the sense mm. of like, I think, you know, it's one, it's connected us, but number two, um, it can be a provider of fantastic information oh, yeah. and good energy. Um, or if you need to vent, whatever it can be, but it definitely, you know, it's, it's definitely that little like devil on the left shoulder that's like, yeah. oh, you thought you were good enough, but haha, like maybe. Right. <laughs> so, and that's, it's so funny because that's what, that's where I was leading into where it's that it's great. I see it one way, but then the utilization of it and the connecting of communities and sharing of these experiences. And so you can still build that network of individuals across the world. Like it was, I think there was, um, a physician, she's a surgical resident currently in Australia, and she's one of the, she's been identified as the most tattooed physician. And she wrote an article for Medscape and addressing questions such as, well, how do patients see you? And what are the stereotypes that come along with being tattooed and having visible tattoos? And so I reached out to her. And social media allows that to be possible. So as much as we can see that perfectionism, it's also reminding ourselves that, okay, this is also what someone's putting forth and we don't know what's going on outside of that as well. It's just a snapshot in time and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with posting those things, but it's going back to normalizing being vulnerable. Absolutely. Absolutely. I feel like there's, there's has to be a lot of, you know, kind of going back to the normalizing being vulnerable and looking back to ourselves and not to the outside is like, I think a lot of it is, you know, as also we become higher achieving and it was like, so we're already at a certain level once we leave, once we leave school, right? They always mm -hmm. tell us, okay, so like in order to go from grade school to middle school, sorry, grade school, I'm sorry, excuse me, middle school to high school, let's say to private school, you had to be at a certain percentage of your class. Yeah. high school to college, college to professional school, professional school, obviously to being successful or whatever, however you define success in your life. So you're, you've now become a subsect of individuals amongst mm -hmm. the world and, or even your, your pop, you know, your community, let's say. Mm -hmm. And so you already leave school, graduate school, graduate your residency, whatever you did at a high achieving level. Mm -hmm. Now, you're now navigating the real world amongst other high achieving individuals. Yes. And so you're constantly striving for this kind of next level. And then that next level above that level and, you know, trying to get to this, you know, this goal that it's potentially unattainable, you know, because we mm -hmm. create it to be unattainable. Yes. Let's be real. We all create, you know, we, we create goals on top of goals because, one, we're programmed that way. That's how we got here. But number two, they are unattainable because if we could ever truly attain the goal, then we may not be 100% satisfied. But mm -hmm. it's almost like teetering between this line of like, we, 
want to get there, but at the same time, we feel bogged down by the fact that like, oh, how do we get there? Maybe we're not good enough and things like that. And it's this tug of war in this game that we play with ourselves. And sometimes Mm -hmm. we have to, you know, and I, and I think that really does come amongst, you know, a lot of like higher achieving individuals because it's, we see ourselves in a certain light. We know it's, it's hard to get there, but it's hard to get there because we've, created these standards for ourselves so it's almost this like cyclical experience it is <laughs> and it's then the imposter cycle yeah, exactly it's a, yeah we've moved it past a phenomenon it's a cycle now like you know yeah, it's this yeah. cycle that it we is. create for ourselves and sometimes like you mentioned not even sometimes it helps like you were talking about just to you know really turn to ourselves and not necessarily turn to the outside all the time, you know, like, mm-hmm. yes, we want to build a community like, okay, we all can do this, you know, sorry, we're all feeling this, but mm-hmm. at the same time, a lot of that growth has to come within us, which, oh, yeah, which yeah. just sometimes seems so hard, you know? Yeah. It, so that's one of the things that I, I actually speak on is the imposter cycle. And it's, you start with that initial thought and you create within yourself self-doubt and fear of failure, right? So then the entire process, you're either overworking or you're procrastinating because of this fear and because of the self-doubt. So what ends up happening is just like all the anxiety symptoms of flight and fight response, you've now created that, right? And so what ends up happening is that at the end, because we're all high achieving, individuals because we're all successful we know we're going to be successful whatever that goal is that we set forth right the problem is is that at the opposite end of the cycle we look back and we think oh well the amount of work that i had to put into it is now unsustainable levels of effort and how am i going to be able to do this again next time or you look back at the procrastination thinking that okay well i procrastinated and you succeeded and then you think oh it's just because of luck you just, it's a last ditch effort. It's okay. Okay. Whatever sort of thing. Right. And so a re, a, a paper came out, uh, in the New, New Zealand, uh, journal looking at dental students and medical students in regards to stress and coping. And in that they listed that a third, so one in three students reported knowing that they strive for unattainable goals. So we know we're doing this to ourselves, right? And then three out of four dental students reported saying that they know that they set unreasonable expectations for themselves as well. <laughs> we know we're doing this to ourselves, <laughs> right? And you said it, and it's so interesting because people can't see your hands, but as you were listing, okay, the next goal, you kept raising them and raising them. And then you're like, well, where are you going? <laughs> right? Like where, where is, where does that goal end? And so I think being the high achiever because of the amount of effort that we do put into attaining that perfect or excellent goal, when we get to the goal, we think that's it. Now what? Mm -hmm. Right. We just spent so much time trying to achieve it. And I know that happened for me when I finished dental school residency, I thought a year out, I don't know what I thought dentistry was supposed to be at that point. And I just thought, is this it? (laughs) Like I just spent, I just spent 11 years like busting my butt to be in top of the class, this top of all those extracurriculars, which I did. I did love certain of them. Some, some of them, not so much, but 
like just the amount of effort that went into it. And then all of a sudden you get there and you're like, oh my God, I've got to do this for the next 20 years. Cause we kept living in like yearly school years or semesters. <laughs> right. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're just like, okay, so I'm here now. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was so like, even for me as an associate, you um, I think the hardest part actually of being an associate, and I know that, I don't know um, if this resonates and it probably will with a couple of our you know listeners is that like, I, especially cause I was an associate at one point in time with who I consider a very excellent doctor. And I just felt like I was having all these problems and I was, you know, like, why am I not understanding this or what's going wrong here and here? And it like just, you know, built on itself and you have doubt, especially being a new grad coming out. Mm -hmm. And at that point I would have been a couple of years out. Um, but it never seemed like he had any complications, right? you know what I mean? Go wrong. And then he would have to be like, no, like we all go through this. Like it just looks that way because I'm the owner doc and I only see my patients and you only see your patients and right. you know, we can't see, you know, you know, you just don't really see each other's work. You know what I mean? I'm sure they, yeah. uh, to be fair, I'm sure they checked on my work. You know what I mean? Like if I was doing a bad job, I'm sure we would have had a conversation, but because they're the owner and they have like a reputation to uphold, but it yeah. would just always feel like, why am I the one that's having an issue with this thing? Or why am I only the one having this? And especially being in that scenario of being that associate with a successful doctor and right. starting to develop the confidence to be like, wait a minute, I know what I'm doing. I can branch out on my own <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah. and that now be the new step. And it comes with its own hurdles. Of course, you know, now the pressure's on you and you have to be able to be comfortable to kind of pull the trigger on, you know, in terms of doing the dentistry and doing the work and, you know, you don't have anyone encouraging you along the way. Yes. Um, but it's that leap of faith sometimes that you have to take in yourself, you know, mm -hmm. and that allows you to get out of this, like that imposter phenomenon bubble to a certain degree. You know, I feel yeah. like all the other things came into play afterwards, but at some point you have to trust in yourself. Yes. And trust mm -hmm. in your ability. You know, you totally do. Yeah. And that trust is hard, especially when we've relied on those numerical values going back. Right. We've relied on us to get a test and that's going to be an indication to us on, OK, well, how did I do in comparison to the grade? in comparison to the grade point average, in comparison to my classmates. Right now, we have to trust in ourselves that what we're doing is our high expectations that we've already set for ourselves and that we're following through with it and that we are doing an extremely good job, right? But we have to pat ourselves on the back. No one's going to give you a gold star anymore, right? No one's going to give you that numerical value. No one's going to post those grades that you got to go <laughs> frantically <laughs> looking for, right? Yeah. Um, we have, we have to build that within ourselves and, but, but the underlying problem is that we've been conditioned to this point to think a specific way. And now we have to undo that. Right. And that takes a little bit of time and baby steps and, 
actively being a part of those thoughts instead of just not living or not working with intention, right? Because otherwise those thoughts just kind of running wild are going to take over and that's all you're going to feel because your thought is what then determines what you feel. And so if you can change that and reword it or rephrase it, that's going to change how you feel and then ultimately how you approach situations as well. Are you approaching situations um, from a scared point of view, thinking the worst and thinking of what potentially could go wrong, which obviously in our profession, we have to describe all of the risks and complications to our patients so they are well aware of that, right? So we're already thinking in, okay, well, what's the worst case scenario? And so this past week, just as an example that comes to mind, I'm, I even put in my notes, I'm like, okay, planning for sinus exposure. Like I'm already thinking, cause I'm looking at the radiograph, I can see that it's going to happen, right? And then day comes and it doesn't happen. So it's knowing that you're preparing for the worst, but also hoping for the best. And so staying in that intentional mindset of, okay, well, I also have all of the skills and tools necessary that if we do get to that point, I can also manage this. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I think that's so great to have one, you've had the perspective to get to that point, because I think even in real life, you know, that makes such a difference to come in with that perspective, you know, not even just in a clinical setting of like, okay, yeah, preparing for all scenarios, you know, you don't want to be a negative Nancy, no one's saying that, you know, but it allows us to, it's kind of like that, the Boy Scout, Girl Scout mentality a little bit, like, always be prepared. Because I think when we are more prepared as individuals for potential outcomes, it allows for them not to seem so shocking to us. And then we are not, I guess, draw, um, you know, we're not brought down, or we don't feel dragged down by, I guess, I don't want to use the word failure, because it's not always a failure, a complication, Mm -hmm. let's say that. Yes. A complication or a curve in the road or, you know, a detour because it's, you know, those things, even as little as they are, even if we all achieved the end result, even if we still all get to the finish line mm-hmm. and the patient has a successful outcome, doesn't matter how many, or we have, you know, we achieved something successfully to our degree or even just finished. It doesn't have to necessarily be successful. Um, we got there, you know, yeah. and we have to remind ourselves that it's okay that these little tangents happened because we still got to that. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, I think we forget that we're human sometimes. Right. And as much as I just explained that uh, professional situation doesn't mean that I can get to that point all the time. You still, (laughs) you still have those slips in the road. I mean, and, and let me be very, very clear. Like even though I'm an expert on this now, doesn't mean that it still affects me from time to time. That's why when, especially stuff that's out there where it's like, take this course, overcome imposter syndrome or overcome. And I don't think that you can overcome it. I think being a high achieving individual, it's about managing, right? I don't think there's anything wrong with anxiety or a little bit of stress. I think that keeps us on our toes. Like, even today, before I came on the podcast, like I still get nervous chatting. And before I lecture, I still get nervous. And I, what I tell myself now is, is that those nerves are 
not because I necessarily fear anymore. It's also nerves of excitement, but it also allows me to understand that I still care about this. When I stop getting those nerves, then I think it's time for me to reevaluate what's going on. Oh my God, a hundred percent. Yeah. I mean, like, like, you know, just to kind of wrap it up, it was, you know, just to kind of go back to this, you know, high achieving individual aspect of it. It's, you know, we are always looking for, you know, to achieve more, to feel, we like the sense of exhilaration, you know, exhilaration comes with a little bit of anxiety, a little bit of stage fright, a little bit of this and that. And you could have, you could be, you could have done this a hundred times, Jessica, you know what I mean? I could be doing this a hundred times. But I agree. I had the same thing. I was like, oh, my pits are a little sweaty today. You know, like, <laughs> like I definitely was like, but I was so excited. It comes out of excitement as well. Yes. Like, I cannot wait to have this conversation, see where it leads. Or when I'm excited about a new procedure, for example, a larger case, like it is exciting, but it's managing the complications that will allow us to not get into that negative space of like, oh, we can't do it. We're not good enough to do it. Yes. Because we are, we all are capable of doing it because we got here for a reason. We wouldn't have been able to get here without, without having the skill set, the mind frame, um, and you know, the will to be able to do it. And we need to now will ourselves to take the time, whether it's weekly or whether it's monthly or however you can frame it to, you know, remind ourselves of the little wins, to remind yes. ourselves of how we've gotten here, to remind ourselves that, you know, it's okay that we're not perfect now because in reality, to be fair, we may never be perfect because we've created, like you, like those students were talking about, like, we, you know, you've created this cycle of, constant achievement and constant need to grow and be a better individual and be a more complete individual. Any advice um, that you have? I know we talked a little bit about a couple exercises, but any advice you have for those Mm. that are looking to manage, you know, or feeling like they're going through it right now and how to manage imposter, the imposter syndrome? Yeah. So one, I'm just going to plug myself here. If anyone needs extra help and they want that support and because they don't necessarily have that support system, I'm here for that. So you can de- check me out at drjessicametcalf.com, uh, my website. But then it's starting to have these vulnerable conversations, right? Starting to have it with yourself as well as with the people around you that you trust. And starting with journaling, both the positive and the negative. And when someone compliments you, own it, say thank you, and walk away. Don't make an excuse. Say thank you and walk away because you did that. That's, that's so important because it's so easy to be like, well, da-da-da. But no, yeah. you got to own it. you got to own it and you got to own you, you know, and I think that's just so important. Um, Thank you, Dr. Jessica Metcalf. I really appreciate your time today. It was awesome. Um, I think we just kind of hit the tip of the iceberg. There's just so much to kind of delve into with all of this. Um, As she said, she, you know, let her know, let you know about her website. She's also known as the Alchemist Dentist on Instagram. So please don't hesitate to um, follow her. She's amazing. Um, And once again, thank you so much. Thank you.